This is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is overdue. We're friends and coworkers, librarians, librarians. And each episode, we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice for kids. Hey, April. Hi, Christy. (laughs) I am back. I'm so happy to have you back. Thank you. I'm happy to be back here with you. Though I had some fun guests. You did. You had excellent guests. Um, And we may be hearing from some guests in the future. Yes, absolutely. Um, But I'm super happy to be um, back with you and doing the podcast and catching up on my reading. Oh, I bet. This is terrible. Should we start over? Should we just start over? I don't know how to start over. Like, no. We got to loosen up. Loosen up. Yeah. No, we were doing fine. And then we like, we're like. Then we got nerdy. Weird weird fakeness. (laughs) Like, no, no. It's it's like really incredibly awesome to have you back. Um, Because I feel like I don't have to think about the banter. Because we got it down. Yeah. Yeah. the rhythm yeah. of a conversation. Right. And I miss doing the podcast because things would come up in my mind where I'd be like, Ooh, I want to talk about that with Christy for the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and actually the book, the book is one of them because we did kind of talk yeah, about well, this on gonna, the side. Start, yeah. I will start. Okay. Well, it's the same book. That's We're only going to talk about the one book. Okay. Right. Sure. Well, that's, that's what I'm prepared for. I don't, well, I'm not prepared to talk about that book. <laughs> Oh wait, should we talk about something else? No, no, I, I, it's okay. You can talk, you can talk about it. I just, I, I can add on, but I don't remember it. Here's the secret. And I think I may have said this to you before April, but as a librarian, it's really embarrassing to have to admit that I don't ever remember the books I read. Oh, I never remember. Okay. If I were for good, I've read books over again, the whole time reading them. This seems really familiar. I mean, I remember Uh, how I feel about them. (laughs) I remember kind of like, bits yeah. and pieces here and there but I, the I don't remember character names or oh gosh no yeah. details and I'm always amazed at people who have brains that oh, can do that yeah no I my podcast secret is I have a notebook I there's no way I would that's remember true. yeah I did remember any of these things my notebook for this one. <laughs> yeah. okay so go um, ahead. well I'll start and then you can chime in because okay. I actually had to do a little research for this book as well oh. so for those of you waiting with bated breath um <laughs> <laughs> the book that uh, we're going to talk about today is called Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendricks. And this was totally not in my comfort zone. So if you know anything about this book ahead of time, you will figure out that I'm not really a horror reader. Um, Yeah, I've just never really gotten into reading horror or watching horror movies. Plus, this is a grown-up book, um, and that's not usually (laughs) in my reading comfort zone. But someone I trust, my new local librarian, shout out to Mickey Wool. Uh, She recommended it while I was in the library and I was on leave and I didn't have a book at the moment. So I was like, why not? Um, It it is actually such a Mickey book. Yeah. Yeah. definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And then what was really funny to me, and I'm a slow reader. That's my other thing. Not only do I never remember anything, but I'm super slow. So I was kind of like slowly going along and I saw a line that you posted on Instagram. It was like a <laughs> screenshot <funny>. yeah. <laughs> of a page in the book. And it was like so weirdly specific to me. And I was like, wait a minute, 
I just read that. Like I, we're reading the same book, <laughs> but like pretty much at the same time. So I'll give the summary again for, for people who are not familiar with it, but it was really popular, I think this fall. Uh, so it, it's a like horror comedy, if that's a genre, I think. Um, horror, horror, <laughs> yeah, horror-omedy. Um, You heard it here first, let's trademark that. Uh, it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek humor. Yeah. Although sometimes I don't know if I know what tongue-in-cheek means, but you know, it's like the characters, they kind of know they're in a ridiculous situation. Yeah, it, pretty... it's a book that's very aware of itself yes. and its yes. genre. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The main characters are these five women who are all the last person alive after some like murderous tragedy. That's the final girl which you often have in a horror movie, right? So one person left standing. I didn't know if this was like a term already around or not. Yeah, it's like a, it's a horror trope. So in this story, they're actually real life people and um, their stories go on to inspire horror movies and like the fandom. And they're actually, this is the part I had to do some research on. They are actually based on movies like Friday the 13th, oh Nightmare gosh, on really? Elm Street. Yep. Oh, that's <laughs> so perfect. I didn't actually do the, that research. Yeah. Well, this is the stuff that if you have watched those movies, you would recognize. Some of them I did. Right away. Yeah. I haven't watched all of those horror movies because I get incredibly terrified living in my own house. Yeah. I do. <laughs> With your haunted clock. Yes. No, that's a for a future episode. Yeah. So what happens here that these these five women they meet regularly in a support group until someone starts killing them off. So like I said, since I don't I haven't really seen any of these movies, I have seen Scream, but you know they're so like familiar to us. Like some stuff takes place at a summer camp, and a bazillion right, horror right. movies happen at summer camps. So I know a lot was lost on me and sort of any kind of reference, like you said, to tropes or the horror movie canon just like went over my head, kind of like when I watched Cabin in the Woods, but oh. also <laughs> yeah, also like that movie. I, you know, I enjoyed this book for what it is. Yeah. There are some really great scenes in it and characters. So the parts I really liked were when the main character and her name's Lynette, you, you go with her on her path to get home and it's so convoluted and she takes like all these different buses and you know there are just so many scenes with her where she's basically got this really bonkers routine to protect herself but in a way it kind of reminded me of like when we watch spy movies um and you know they have like all this kind of secret clever stuff um I mean she doesn't have gadgets but it's more like you know I don't want to give too much away in the book but you know having stuff stashed in different places Mm -hmm. in case she needs it or whatever oh and side note too yes contingency plans and just very clever it's going to be made into a tv series oh so when i again you know thanks wikipedia basically for helping me out with some of this stuff but um i thought that'd be really you know i wasn't surprised because it's definitely very cinematic the book itself which is also i think um part of what makes it appealing Mm -hmm. Um, I did find it hard to follow all the final girls and their backstories. And I think that was because I wasn't familiar with them. And there mm-hmm. are five of them. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> Try to remember who got the axe murder, blah, blah, blah. And then I have one other kind of fun fact. So again, this is just shows like little I know, but the uh, final girl from Friday the 13th, the first movie, uh, was played by an actress named Adrienne King. And she narrates the audiobook of no the final girl support group, but also 
there's a character in the book named Adrian. Yes, I was just and like, that's, that's, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought that might be. You do remember the book. Um, a because, little bit. <laughs> yeah, and that her storyline is based on Friday the 13th. So, okay, okay. Um, that cool. I thought was kind of fun. Yeah. That is, yeah. So I like April. I don't read grown-up books very often. Actually, it's funny. Like a lot of times people will be like, I'm reading this really great book. Have you heard about it? And the first question out of my mouth always is, is it a grown-up book? Me too. Because I, I do, I'm not as aware. I've ne- I never had to be in my library jobs mm-hmm. or even in my post-library jobs. I've always done youth stuff. So I'm not always up to speed on what is out and who the, the hot authors are, the hot titles. And I had gone to the library. I was kind of in a book rut. I was having a really hard time reading, um, partly because everything I picked up, um, a teenager died. And I just oh, couldn't do that. Yeah. Um, it just was a, it was a rough time to try to, to read books like that. And so I was browsing the new fiction section and for some reason the cover stood out to me. So it's a black cover with a chair, right? Yeah. yeah like a, a red folding it. chair, red folding chair. And it just was really striking. And I picked it up and I'm like, huh, I could read this. And it, like, it just was totally random from a, you know, book selection process. Mm-hmm. I usually do a lot more Mm-hmm. looking, you know, read reviews or, or know at least something about the book. Um, but I've been very much in a pick a book by its cover phase right now. <laughs> oh, like me and wine. Yeah, there you go. Oh, I always do that, especially if they're funny labels. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I picked it up, brought it home. Um, and I found it incredibly readable and, and enjoyable. I, I had a hard time with some of the characters too, just kind of following stuff. And I think part probably because I'm not as into the the horror movies as much, although I have seen a lot of them. Um, and I, but I do read horror books. Mm. So from that perspective, I actually expected a scarier book. Yes. It was, the book it was itself not. was not scary yeah, to me. I kind of but, expected it. Mm-hmm. That's um, also sort of how I feel though about the movies. Not that they're not scary, but to me, they're so over the top, like these kind yeah, of the gory. Yeah, and yeah. I think of like, yeah, from like the eighties when I was a kid, yeah. they're so gory and over the top this, you know, the plots don't really make any sense ever. And why is always everyone like tripping when they're winning or whatever? <laughs> and why does everybody go somewhere by themselves? Yeah, Come they on. go somewhere by themselves. You know somebody killing people <laughs> they, and you go somewhere by yourself. Yeah. They investigate the basement. Right. They, you know, make right. out in graveyards, all this stupid stuff. <laughs> so the, the movies and the book genres that actually scare me are more like the thriller, or like yeah. a psychological kind of thing yeah. where you feel like it could really happen. But, yeah. but go on. But it was, but I thought, um, I thought it was really well done and I mm-hmm. loved the interstitial sections. There were like articles oh, yes. and clippings and movie reviews all around the world that the, the characters I forgot exist about that. in where their, their, their stories, their stories of survival were, were then turned into movie franchises. And so there was all this analysis about, you know, the, um, uh, you know, um, objectification of women in horror. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I thought it was so well done. And the, and the voice of all of those interstitial sections were different. Mm-hmm. So to have the same author right. writing. Um, and I also will say that something that just like popped into my head was that um, I, I ended up being impressed by, by the author's ability to write a female character. I'm always very suspicious mm-hmm. going into 
a book um, where the author is male and their descriptions of women. And mm-hmm. I'm happy to say it didn't bother me. I would agree with that too. Well, one nice vocabulary word. Thank um, you. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even know what that was called, but I like that too. And I'm the same way, um, especially something like this, where you're really getting into the mind of mm-hmm. these women who have been through, you know, extremely traumatic yeah. Yeah, experiences. It could really go wrong. You know, sometimes I'll read a book from a woman's perspective written by a man. And it's just the whole time I know that oh, I'm reading one right now. Yeah. <laughs> and that the first like description of the woman, I was like, I don't know if I can finish this book. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't um, feel that way with this no, book at all. No, so not that at all. Is kudos to uh, Grady. Yeah. The only thing that, that pulled me out of the story was, um, a description of highways in Southern California. It was described not like somebody who actually lives in Southern California. And for anybody who lived in Southern California or, or knows somebody from there, you know, whether that we're a little weird and highways, (laughs) uh, the highway names aren't just 95 and 10. They are the 95 the 10. I grew up at the intersection of the 10 and the 215. And for people from outside of Southern California, that sounds really weird. I know when you're reading something as a Southern native Southern Californian, um, and they don't do that, you know, that it, they miss something, they miss their research. And so I took a picture of that description. <laughs> I remember the main character was with this police officer in a car and they're um, on the 215 driving up to Barstow, <laughs> which is very close to where I grew up. And I was like, oh, no, took a picture of it, posted it on <laughs> Instagram. And then, of course, like all my California friends were like commented about it. It's so awesome. specific. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you want to see that in action, um, Saturday Night Live a few years ago now, had this like repeating sketch of a a soap called like the Californians and they would always have the 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 and and it would just like I don't know it would crack me up every time it's a very silly skit Um, but anyway well I'm glad you remember that because I was going to bring it up to see if you remembered um what it was you had posted yeah now I'm doing like It's so ridiculous. And I've lived here for so long. I mean, I don't do it here. Well, right. No, no one does. I, I it would live be off of 95. Weird. I don't call it, it would the be 95, so weird. It so would. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was fun. To get it to was talk fun to talk. Yeah. Book. That I actually fun. did prepare another book. So I'll just save that for another one. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. I have one for another time too. Hey, Christy, do you want to introduce our question for Ask Us Anything? Sure, sure. So the question we have this time is is very timely considering what has been going on in the United States with regard to books in school libraries and public libraries. And so the question is, what do you do if a book gets challenged? It's very timely. Um, and this happens a lot, I think, it does with youth literature. Absolutely. In youth particular. And anything with pictures. Mm-hmm. So graphic novels and picture books, right. anything that is, I kind of, I actually was talking to a librarian about this just yesterday about how, you know, people can, when they pull a book off the shelf and they're flipping through it, if it's text, they may not ever notice something mm-hmm. that might 
offend them in it. But if it's pictures, it might, you know, it's much easier to kind of see that quickly and then be filled with righteous rage and then challenge the book, depending Mm -hmm. on if it's in a school or a public library. But, you know, we've been seeing this a lot in the news here in the United States. And, um, and it seems that every state that we know somebody in has, is dealing with challenges of some sort. And so here in Massachusetts, we've been talking um, with our public library um, uh, staffs, but, and also school library staff about how to prepare for a book challenge, you know, the ways to kind of be set up so that if somebody challenges the book that you already have a process in place, you know, having a really solid collection development policy. So you know what you should have in your collection and also then justify the titles that you you've selected, but then also having a procedure in place for that they, you know, many places call a reconsideration procedure or a challenge procedure so that when somebody says, Hey, I don't think this book belongs here. You have a process says, and I like the ones that also have a form that asks the person if they've read the book. Right. I was going to mention that <laughs> because that's another thing, like, like you had mentioned, you know, sometimes people are looking at pictures and it could be picture book or graphic novel, but another thing happens a lot where people just hear about the book in mm-hmm. media. And that is yeah. especially what's going on right now, where this has become like news, news stories. And again, all over the country. So people will get sort of on this bandwagon and they'll never (laughs) read the book or even held it in their hands and are, you know, clamoring for it to be pulled from schools and public libraries. So it's really, yeah, (laughs) I'm always thinking of them. Um, So, yeah, I think definitely the best defense is an offense. Did I say that right? That's a sports thing. But basically... be prepared. Um, And luckily there are so many resources to help you with that. So you do not have to, um, you know, create a collection development policy or a reconsideration policy. And I do tend to think of them as going together. You should not have one without the other. And there are tons of examples. It's something that Christy and I and other consultants at the Mass Library System can help with if, or if you have your own state library system, you know, wherever our listeners are that, um, that are librarians, there's, there's tons of help for that. And I think it's just good, even if you have that, to look it over, you know, policies mm-hmm. can Update get them. outdated. Yeah, make sure yeah. it's up to date, make sure it's clear. You know, if you do have a reconsideration form, make sure it does include something like, have you read this book? You know, why are you bringing it um, to our attention? And Also, I was going to mention, if you are not a librarian or a library staff and you're a reader that happens to listen, really, please reach out to your libraries and offer them support in whatever way that you can, especially if there is like a current book challenge that you might know about, again, in in the news media or through other means. If you know of something happening because what happens is we're listening to the loudest voices, right? right? And people get upset because they see other people upset <laughs> and, and then they um, show up. yeah. And then the, you know, the, the, the staff and the educators and the librarians are, you know, that's what they're hearing and that's what they're seeing, even if they might not personally agree with it. So you need counter voices to those exactly. 
those opinions. And really the main thing is, again, you could not like the content either, but what's important is having, you know, different voices in literature represented and, and by different, I mean, not our like mainstream, (laughs) you know, sort of revisionist history. Because what we see a lot of is the books that are targeted are from oppressed populations. Absolutely. People of color, LGBTQ authors. Yes. Um, Yeah. Anybody Mm -hmm. who's questioning the status quo tends to to get challenged. Um, There was, I I can't remember the community, so I will try to find the article for our our notes, but um, there actually was a really great example in Maine recently where uh, a title was getting challenged and community members came to the school committee meeting um, to support keeping the book in the schools. And that that's the type of stuff that, mm-hmm. that we need readers to do, right. we need community members to do mm-hmm. so that if, you know, there's a school committee meeting, school board meeting where they're going to be discussing a book challenge, show up, be there, speak right. up, um, read the book. So you know what's going on too. So you can support the library mm-hmm. staff in your community. Right. Uh, it's really important. Right. And, and to point out again, that these are often books written for young people who don't always have access to, you know, they can't just go buy the book at a bookstore maybe, um, or, or might not be comfortable bringing a book right? or because they're not safe. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, we as adults really do need to step up and, and, um, you know, make, make our voices heard as well and not just let, um, you know, sort of fear, (laughs) um, overtake and drown out, uh, you know, these kinds of books that, again, I would say are the majority are marginalized authors or stories, you know, like you said, stories of um, questioning the status quo or, you know, I mean, people can (laughs) challenge a book for any number of reasons. Um, And so it really does deserve a process and it deserves um, actual consideration and not not just sort of um, knee-jerk reaction from, you know, either point of view, right? So I've definitely been through this experience where I have looked at a title and, you know, maybe I thought, well, yeah, maybe this is more adult than YA or Mm -hmm. most times it was, nope, this is right for our collection and there's not anything wrong with it being where it is. Um, But, you know, from that point of view, a lot of times, I will say this in my 12 years at a public library, I never actually had anyone fill in the reconsideration form Ooh, I did. mainly because I, you know, we would talk about, I would talk about it with the, right. the person complaining and point out things to them. And I would always offer it to them, but um, I will tell one quick one. Yeah. <laughs> like one was like someone complained about the biggest bear, which is a picture book. Um, the author's going to escape me, but it's old, old, old. And there's a picture of a little boy and a bear and the little boy on the cover and the boy is holding a shotgun. Um, spoiler alert, he does not shoot the bear. <laughs> um, it is <laughs> like a hunting story. I know. Don't be disappointed. Um, but they, you know, took offense to the gun on the cover. And now I am so anti-gun. It's not even funny. But, you know, this was like, like I said, like classic at the time, probably nobody knows what I'm talking about, but um, I forget, you know, it's like a big name, old timey author. And actually the book is nice because what happens is that 
young boy decides he doesn't want to shoot the bear. And so we just, you know, we got to talk about that and I got to point out the story and the context, right? Because just looking mm, at a exactly, picture. Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, and so it was fine and, you know, probably doesn't even, it probably got weeded like after <laughs> I stopped working there. But, um, mo- you know, most of the concerns were more more serious than that. But like, that was the kind of example where we just talked about it and then it kind of wasn't an issue. Exactly, um, yeah. I don't, that's not necessarily what's going on now. And that's why we want to talk about it because we want to make sure people know what resources they have. So we, we can, uh, we're working on more, I think, but yep. there's, there's lots of great stuff. Toolkit. Yeah. It's, this is not new for libraries. So there mm-hmm. are lots of good resources um, online. I will say the ALA office of intellectual freedom is a good place to start um, after you you've done your, planning and preparation with policy. That's really number one. When I was um, my first youth services job, I had two challenges that I interacted with. One was that at the public library, Um, I created a graphic novel collection. They had never had one before and we had it in the teen section and um, somebody pulled a book off the um, shelf. I think it was Shutterbug Follies. And it's about a, a, a young woman who works at a photo developing um, store business. And, um, the, the person filled out the, the reconsideration form and said that they read the book. I think they really flipped through it and looked at the pictures mm-hmm. and that the reason that they, um, objected to the book was because it was graphic. And I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> just, just <laughs> the, like, it's a graphic novel. Of course it's graphic, you know, like that concept, but then right. the, the actual specific issue that the person had was that, the character develops a photo of a woman giving birth Hmm. and that it's a, it's a cartoon illustration of a woman giving birth. And that was the image that they objected to. Hmm. And I was such a new green librarian and I didn't know really how to, to handle the situation other than to be like, I I, like my instinct would just be like, are you kidding? (laughs) Right. Thankfully, I had a director who did not let me uh, do that. You were born too. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this is a thing that happens. Um, and, yeah. you know, going through the process, we kept the book. It was fine. Yeah. Um, but it just, I, I think about that every time, especially when graphic novels are, mm-hmm. are a challenge that people, you know, get stuck on one image and be like, right. look at this picture. Right. When they're completely forgetting the context right. of that or the reality of human nature, you know, right. and all right. the things that happen. So, but if you, um, I would say that for listeners, if you have any questions about book challenges or are, are dealing with one and, and wants us to help you point, to point mm-hmm. you in a direction of some good resources, you can always email us. Um, the, this pod is overdue at gmail.com. Um, and we have some resources that we're, we already have access to, but then we are developing some more um, through our organization. Hey, April, what are you yes. learning these days? <laughs> uh, I'm learning about myself. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, actually, I think this is something you recommended to me, uh, the Smart But Scattered series oh. of books. That was you, right? <laughs> I can finish it. Oh, well, which one are you reading? Because there are I'm, several. 
I got the one for Oh, wait a minute. You're so scattered that you can't finish. The- <laughs> yeah. So that my joke yeah. was, I, you know, I posted a picture of it that I got it. To, I got it from the library to read, to help my middle schooler. And I couldn't focus enough on the book to get through it. I yeah. understand. I do understand yeah. uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just I'm glad that like, I tell me more. I'm okay. really interested. Well, I, picked up the one that is um okay I picked up the one that's smart but scattered guide to success how to use your brain's executive skills to keep up stay calm and get organized at work and at home which is quite a mouthful (laughs) Um, (laughs) and I would say too that I don't know too many people who like really couldn't use this book like who is not having trouble keeping up, staying calm and getting organized. Um, if you are out there, please, uh, Christy Send just gave our email. <laughs> yeah. Tell us how you did it. Um, this series of books is written by Peg Dawson and Richard Guar. Um, and as Christy mentioned, there are books like for kids, for teens and the really the adults in their lives. So to kind of help with that. And um, we actually covered executive skills and reimagining school readiness workshops that we had last spring in the spring ish. (laughs) Um, I know that's what I was just thinking. (laughs) 2021. Um, I just wrote some, I just wrote a date on something 2020. Like, I don't know where my brain is at. I meant to write 2022 and I wrote 2020. Maybe I want to go back to January 2020. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so we covered these uh, types of skills in that workshop, but um, I figured a lot of people might not know what that even means, but they are things like stress tolerance and time management, emotional control, working memory, and, and quite a few more. Um, and they're called executive skills because they're the skills required to execute tasks. Um, And the better these skills work, the better we're able to carry out everyday tasks and develop plans and like have goals and reach them. Um, The weaker they are, the more a person struggles with those things. Um, And so I do sometimes struggle (laughs) with some of these things. Uh, Ideally, we would develop these skills at a young age, but there are many factors that can influence this. And the authors explain that it's partly biology, kind of like physical, uh, such as your neurological uh, differences, brain injuries, could be genetics, and then also experiences. So um, environmental toxins like lead poisoning could affect this, but also emotional stress, um, trauma, even maternal depression, which I thought was interesting. Um, So there's, you know, as a child, there's only so much uh, you can control. And they, they do explain that in more detail, but they also point out that recent, recent brain research um, showed that neuroplasticity, and that's the idea that the brain can change over time, continues throughout our lives. Thank oh, goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> that's right. You can <laughs> teach old dogs new tricks. Um, and I, the reason why I thought of this book for learning and why I said I've been learning about myself was that the most helpful thing I found so far is the executive skills questionnaire. I was just going to, I'm looking through my notebook yeah. because I did get that far. Yeah. I really like that. In fact, yeah. I, I, I thought of it compared to like 
a Myers-Briggs or like yeah. the Enneagram or those kind of like personality quizzes. But I actually found this to be like more spot on and more relevant. Um, and what's really great about the book too is that it goes over concrete ways to manage your executive skills. So like the questionnaire will help you identify your three strongest and your three weakest. Um, then you can focus on those sections of the book, which is another thing I like. You don't have to read the whole book. <laughs> you can just skip to the sections uh, you want to work on. So for example, my, um, my lowest score was task initiation. And this was like no surprise at all to me. I'm a huge procrastinator. This is about yeah, all about procrastination. And I always have been. I remember this like really getting me into lots of trouble um, in my school years. Uh, so if I don't have a deadline or some, some big motivating factor, it's really hard for me to get started. Um, and if you That's listen to one of yeah, <laughs> if you listen to one of our earlier podcasts. Uh, we talked about reading books and I never read books that I own because they have no, no deadline, deadline, no due date. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's a whole chapter on avoiding procrastination. I haven't read it yet, uh, but, it, <laughs> <laughs> but it does turn out this is a really common challenge. So I'm, I'm not the only one who hasn't read <laughs> the chapter on procrastination. Um, oh, that's but, my favorite thing this week. <laughs> Well, it's like when I was going to take, um, I think it's like ginkgo biloba for memory, but I couldn't remember to take <laughs> the supplement. So I just gave up. Um, so the, I, yeah, so this is great. If you, if you are finding a little struggle or you just feel like taking the questionnaire is really short. I, I should um, go back. I mean, I, I took the questionnaire. Yeah. I well, can find is, my skills, oh, my, my oh, notes from well, it. Working I, memory, a, working memory might be an area. <laughs> working memory is a problem for me. <laughs> it was, it's one of my problems too. But, but this is cool. It's got like tip, real tips. And that's the thing I find lacking in so many yeah. of these types of books or like a self, I don't even know if I'd call it self-help necessarily, but um, you know, you can modify your environment, but right. Like if you're easily distracted, like what, you know, what can you do to remove distraction or whatever, uh, modify the task itself, how to ask for help, which mm -hmm. a lot of people need some tips on because that can just be a hard thing in general it is um yeah. but how to like you know how you always do that thing too like if someone's struggling and you're like let me know if I can help right and then a lot of times you're like something concrete yeah concrete. and a yeah. lot of times like you don't know how to help but they also don't maybe know what they need yeah. so I actually think that was a good that's a good thing in this book and um and then how to practice the skill so you can actually strengthen it um so so far <clears throat> Liking that, I don't feel, you know, alone in the world. Um, there's lots of task initiation averse people out there. <laughs> Hello, fellow procrastinators. Hello. Yeah. Uh, so so what are you learning? It's very specific and very exciting. Um, I learned that you can extract DNA from a strawberry. Ooh. Like, and it's easy. You're a you scientist. Do it at home in your kitchen. So I have to say that the way this came about is um, I, I took my kids to the library a couple weeks ago and my eight-year-old loves to use the catalog and to mm -hmm. search up topics. 
And then he writes on the call number and he goes to the nonfiction section and looks up books um, when he's found a specific book. Yes. I, this is my one librarian like win as a parent (laughs) that my kid likes to use the catalog and look up books. So um, that particular day he did it. I think he just had looked up science and found one of the first books that popped up. And the book in question is the Explanatorium of Science. Um, mm-hmm. This is Smithsonian's Explanatorium of Science and it's from the um, publisher DK. And it's one of those really large format, heavy books. I'm familiar with this publisher. Yes. <laughs> and um, this one in particular is chock full of really gorgeous photographs Mm. Um, but then each double page spread covers a topic and it has some history um, some you know quick facts but a lot of them have actual science experiments and so the the one on dna is how to extract dna from a strawberry i want to hear more all it it requires is um some dish soap um some alcohol and a sieve (laughs) Like, that's it. I mean, the thing is, you can't see it. You can't see the double helix mm-hmm. because it, that requires a microscope that's more powerful sure. than most people have. But you, what you get is this kind of like gooiness hmm. that is the DNA. That's oh, been, wild. So you, the first thing you do is you um, break down the cell um, barriers. You have to smash up the strawberries and then you use the dish soap that kind of breaks up the fat that oh. uh, is on the, the membranes of the cell walls. And um, because the, the goal is you yeah. have to get into the nucleus of the cells and break mm-hmm. that up and get, and then the DNA will separate. Um, and like, it just is mind blowing that this is something we can do. And so my son was really excited about it. We kept talking about it. My husband bought strawberries. <laughs> so um, this has been, you know, a big family endeavor here. And I um, actually found a great video that I will include in the show notes. Oh, yeah. um, it's cool. from the University of Leicester. And yes, I did look up how to pronounce Leicester. <laughs> just so I didn't do it incorrectly um but what's really great is that the person who demonstrates it um get, does it from the beginning to the end um and so it's you can watch the process um and she is an American who teaches at the University of Leicester and but she uses all the Britishisms and oh, it was so fun. delightful for the, yes, to watch too <laughs> yeah yeah so um so I I, I um, challenge everybody to go out find some DNA. Yeah. Um, I want to know what color is. It's like a clearish white. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not pink anymore because the the color is in the, um, it's not in the DNA. It's not in the the DNA is not the the color of the strawberry. Yeah. That's so cool. And then did you eat it after? Just kidding. DNA. (laughs) Be a little soapy. Yeah. And and alcohol. Rubbing alcohol. Oh, right. Right. And mashir. It's not not something. (laughs) It was funny that my husband bought the strawberries. And before we had a chance to do the experiment, my daughter started eating the strawberries. (laughs) I was like, no, no, you can't eat those. They're for a science experiment. That's great. That's awesome. I think that sounds like fun. And I do love that it turned into like a family affair. Yeah. It reminds yeah, me of, yeah. Buy the book because there's, there are other ones too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Other experiments that we want to do. I was just thinking of the one, I think like a lot of people in my generation did where you have um, like three white carnations and you have to put them in water with food coloring. Yeah. And I remember like, like we all had to do that as kids. So like every 
you know, every few years we would have a yeah. little row of <laughs> carnations in our house for the whole family to enjoy. We did that with celery when my daughter was oh. in kindergarten. Her, um, she did it as a science experiment, but she also like added, like we, we had the added variables of salt in the water and sugar in the water. Oh. And we used the cut food coloring to see whether or not salt and sugar impacted oh, did it? water absorption. It did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah this salt, is making me want to do like a science water. experiment. Like I haven't done one. Well, probably since we did our yeah. steam workshop. We do a lot of kitchen <laughs> science in my house. Yeah. 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 I do food science when I cook. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually uh, leads me to what I'm loving. These oh, days. perfect. If you want me to start? Yeah, yes, yeah. So totally late to the party. I love my instant pot. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, I just got one just got it not that long ago and yeah I know this was like really popular a while back but we were like oh we don't need another gadget blah 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 um but I wanted to add more beans and grains to my diet you know um, pump up that fiber in my diet but ironically I have not had much luck cooking beans in this thing um I don't don't really know yeah I don't really think it's very um, actually very good for that. It's not gentle enough. Um, so I, I get a lot of broken beans. Mm. Um, and I don't know if it's my cooker in particular, but they're not always done on the first try. So like, you know, the whole point is that you don't have to like wait three hours to make beans. And, but I still end up kind of having to like keep doing it. Whereas if you cook them on the stove, you can just pop one out and see if it's ready. (laughs) So I might give up on trying to make beans, but I have had luck with other things um, and I'll share some of my favorites in the show notes, but like I made a blueberry bunt cake and what? yeah, and it was so good and so easy that I tossed the recipe. I don't remember where it is anymore because <laughs> I do not need to be making easy. Oh, I was like, why would you get rid of the recipe? Yeah. Oh, I get Burn it. it. Okay. Yeah. Oh no. Um, and my in-laws gave me a great recipe for coconut rice and it's <gasps> oh, really good. Yeah. It's, it's so easy too. It's like can of coconut milk and some rice. Um, but it's nice. Like, cause one thing I don't cook well is, um, rice. And I do like the way it comes out in the instant pot and actually similarly quinoa, I'll probably never mm-hmm. cook it on the stove again because when I cook it on the stove, it comes out kind of too wet. And if I keep letting it cook, then it burns on the bottom. <laughs> so like, is this the most fascinating conversation I've ever heard or what? <laughs> but, you know, to me, it was like a revelation. I'm like, it's yeah. perfect and fluffy every time. Um, yeah. So I'm just like pretty happy with it. And I did want people to like send me your favorite Instant Pot yeah. recipes. The thing that made me really love the Instant Pot was hard boiled eggs because oh, yeah I know a lot of people who they're pressure eggs cooked in it. and so they they peel much easier oh than, yes because I have I have a really terrible time when I try to hard-boil eggs because like, it's a family joke that when I, I make <laughs> uh, deviled eggs at Thanksgiving yeah. every year and then I go to peel the eggs and then the eggs are so hideous because they're like pitted and chunks <laughs> have come off because I can't peel the stupid eggs. Oh, that does um, remind me. I did try to make yeah. um like little egg cups, you know, like little, oh, almost yeah, like little yeah. sous vide eggs. Did I show you that picture? I forgot the because there's like a, a little valve for the steam to escape or oh, not to escape, yes. thus the pressure. And I, 
I didn't have the valve on and oh my gosh, these eggs, it was like obscene. They looked really, really <laughs> talk about graphic. They were not okay, but, uh, <laughs> but they tasted fine. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my love is music and not just any music. I, I mean, I've always loved music and I've shared music here before, but um, yesterday I was sitting and I was listening to um, just a, a station that was playing on our house robot and a song came on. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, and then about halfway through this guitar riff started and I was like, oh, I know that. I know that sound. And so I looked it up and the song was um, called You'll Get Yours. Um, it's by Tom Morello, who um, some of you may know as the guitarist for Rage Against the Machine. And the, this song, the, it, the lead singers are actually ex-ambassadors, the band ex-ambassadors. And it's from um, Tom Morello's new album called The Atlas Underground Flood. So he has this new solo project called The Atlas Underground. And he's been releasing albums under that name. And he's actually released two this year. Um, Atlas Underground Fire was in September and Flood was just last week in December. Oh, wow. We're recording this in December. And um, I listened to the song again and then I had to drive to Target and I listened to it three times on the way to Target, <laughs> which is not me. I mean, I, I like music a lot, but I don't tend to listen to the same song mm. over and over and over again. And then I came home and I looked up the album and all of the songs are uh, collaborations with other artists. And I just started going down this deep dive of listening to each and one, <laughs> every one of them, started texting my friends who would know one, know who Tom Morello is. Um, I mean, I, I have to say, like, I've always had this like strong love of his guitar style, which is so unique and, and noticeable. Um, I wasn't a huge Rage Against the Machine fan in high school, uh, mostly because I didn't ever pay attention to the lyrics. Mm -hmm. and I only heard the sound and I heard the guitar. Mm -hmm. I love the guitar, but I didn't always necessarily like the style. And then in college, I happened to see them live because they opened for U2. And it was the first time I ever really thought about the lyrics mm -hmm. and what they were saying and the message and the social justice message. Mm -hmm. um, and then I became a big fan. And then um, Tom Morello was also in Audio Slave, which is another band that I've always loved. And I am just like, it's, this is like a love that's like so new and so exciting. And I literally spent hours listening to these two new albums, watching the videos for them, which are all like almost every single one of them has a really strong social, social justice message. Oh, interesting. And I'm like so excited. I'm like stumbling over my words. <laughs> Are you fangirling? Um, I am. I really am. And I think that's what's so exciting is I haven't done this in a long yeah. time about, about new music. And not that I, I haven't liked new music or anything. It's just, it's been a while since I've just had this like emotional response to music. Mm -hmm. And um, there was, there's one um, that's on the album called Hard Times. And um, uh I'm going to blank on who the, um, the collaborators are. They're two rappers and then um, Nathaniel Rateliff. Um, and it's predominantly a rap song about racism in the U.S. And listening to it in my car, I just had this like emotional response to it. Both like 
sadness and anger about the what's happening in our country but then also this like incredible joy at the music because mm-hmm. the music mm-hmm. itself was just it just filled me with all of these feelings and so yeah this is this is Christy on this like super <laughs> I can't stop talking about it no but it may I mean I'm looking up right now on my phone on Spotify so I can listen yeah yeah Yeah. and what was that so that initial song though what was that that one that caught your um, you'll get yours um it's Tom Morello and X Ambassadors Mm -hmm. I also um the the song from this newer album that has gotten the most airplay um or plays on on Spotify is called Human and the um it's a collaboration with Barnes Courtney also phenomenal um and then uh, hold the line, which is from the Atlas Underground Fire in the fall, um, is with a collaboration with a singer called Granddad, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that one um, is also amazing. And there's this great video um, that kind of intersperses news stories and archival footage and photographs about unions in the U.S. Wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. it's like I they're just so much to love and so much to discover. And Mm -hmm. especially, you know, anybody who has a passion for music and really incredible guitar riffs Mm -hmm. um, and also a passion for social justice. Well, I think that's amazing that you recognize the guitar, like sort of signature of artists. Cause I, I love music too, but not my ear doesn't work that way. I don't know if I would recognize I don't think that. it's with everybody, but he, yeah. Tom Morello has such a unique style that, you know, especially if you are familiar with, um, you know, Rage Against Machine hits mm-hmm. and then, um, and Audio Slave, it, at least it would sound familiar, right. but it was enough right. that I, like, I was cross-stitching and I just stopped yeah. and sat up. And then I said, house robot, who says uh, Yes. <laughs> That's That's also love. why I love um, Shazam because I do that a ton. Yep. Um, because I'll I'll be struck by something I'm listening to and I want to do a deep dive, as you yeah. say. It also was really funny because I had created this station based off of Guster, and then it was playing basically just new music, and mm-hmm. it, it which was great. I mean, um, the new Adele albums mm-hmm. showed up new taylor swift and new tom morello so completely different from mm-hmm. guster yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and from each was, other yeah. yeah it was a great you know music discovery yeah. evening i do like that awesome so, well this has been so much fun to get back into the podcast action and we have many more to come Oh, do you want to give our email and Instagram? Yes, yes. Uh, um, please follow us on Instagram. This pod is overdue. You can email questions to us at thispodisoverdue at gmail.com. And show notes from this episode and all our episodes can be found at tinyurl.com slash thispod. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music.
I can't remember how we start our podcast. So do you want to? 